Please take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We are nearing the middle point of this letter. It's kind of amazing. It's just hard to believe we're still in 2 Timothy. I feel like 1 Timothy went by so fast, but we're almost halfway through 2 Timothy now. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 to 19 tonight. Just a reminder, if you were not here with us last week, Paul was really exhorting Timothy and even us to remember Jesus Christ. Remember his resurrection, his word, and his faithfulness. And this week, there's a bit of a turn in the text back to a familiar topic, really defending the faith. Defending the faith against false teachers by acting and serving as an approved workman who is rightly handling the word of God. So we'll see that transition in the text here. But we'll only cover a few verses, verses 14 to 19. So 2 Timothy 2, 14 to 19. And before we read this, let me remind you as always, this is the holy and inerrant inspired word of our living God. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus, and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing his seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Amen. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are delighted to come into your presence and thankful, Father, for the chance to worship you. And we acknowledge as we approach you, Lord, that you are good and you do good. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being near you and communing with you as we are here now in corporate worship. And Lord, we only know that that's, that's even possible because of the finished work and continued mediation of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So in Christ's name, we ask, Lord, that you would deal bountifully with your servants tonight, that we may live and keep your word. Open our eyes as we study your word that we might behold wondrous things out of your law and guard us, Father, from pride and from distraction so that we don't wander from you or your ways. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, seven-ish, eight-ish years ago, I should have counted it up beforehand, but uh, I was the youth pastor here. Most of you probably know that, but some of you uh, may have forgotten or, or just didn't know that at all. But when I was the youth pastor here, we would go to this camp, kind of. It was in Mexico called Caravan Ministries. 
in the summer. Some of you were on those trips, and you remember what they were like. Uh, and the goal of those trips was really an exposure to world missions. We would talk to missionaries, we would visit Radius, and we'd actually even um, visit our missionaries at Radius and see if we can assist them. But one very interesting part of this trip, too, was every year we went, we also built these houses, which, when you think house, don't, don't think in your mind a house. Think shed. Okay, we built these sheds for people, and they were for a whole family to live in. Now, I can vividly remember on all those trips, I took junior high, high school students. I, I did not take the most skilled workers, okay? We were not the crew you would ever want building your own house. Um, and anytime we did have a skilled worker, I would always put them on my team because, you know, I was in charge of the trip, so I wanted to stack the odds in my favor. But all of us, I mean, we didn't know how to swing a hammer, we didn't know how to cut wood without power tools, and we weren't using power tools, so we were in big trouble, and the only thing that really bailed us out every single time is there was one worker there from Caravan, and they had been building these houses all summer. Some of them have come back summer after summer, and so they could build these houses within a matter of hours. But they stuck it out with our team patiently teaching us how to work together and saw and hammer and nail. And, you know, instead of two or three hours, we spent six or eight hours on these sheds. And by the end, it was a pretty rickety looking little shed that we built for this whole family. Now, we would do this three or four days of that trip. And I can remember each day we did it, we improved. And by the end of the week, our shed got better and better, but it still looked pretty sketchy even by the end of the week. But what stood out to me most and what always kind of just was really encouraging and blew me away is how thankful those families were for that home. Even though we weren't the most skilled worker, they were so thankful to have a place and so thankful for the work that we put into that place. They would feed us and tell us thank you constantly. I can't tell you how much of a blessing it was to be a part of providing this face for the, this place for this family to stay. And in some way, we got a taste of what it was like to be a worker approved. People are thankful for our work or working to serve them and love them and, and them approving of our work. Now, in a similar way, that's a little bit of what we see in this passage tonight. Paul shows Timothy, and he shows us by extension, what it looks like to be a worker, it's a similar way to that, but a worker not for other people, but for God. And to be a worker that God approves of by handling his word rightly. So that's at the center of this passage. What is an approved worker for God? But actually, Paul's going to point us through three workers, three different workers in this text that I want to draw your attention to. First, we have the approved worker, the one I just mentioned. That's verses 14 to 15 that Paul talks about. But then we have the unapproved worker. And that's those heretics I mentioned earlier when, Paul, when Timothy has to defend the faith. And that's mostly in verses 16 to 18. But then lastly, and most importantly, we have really the master builder. The one who is the true worker that will build his church no matter what. And that's our great hope. So first, let's look at verse 14 again as we see a picture of the approved worker. Verse 14, Paul says, Remind them of these things. Let's stop there because that is a very vague command there, isn't it? Who's the them? And what things are we trying to remember here? Those are two very important questions we have to answer. So first, who is the them? Who is Paul commanding here or trying to get a group of people to be reminded of something? Well, it could be all Christians. 
in the holistic universal sense of the church, or it could be the church in Ephesus. But see, here's the thing. The following verses, verses really 14 all the way to verse 19 and even to the end of the chapter, are all about words. How our words affect our hearers and how we handle the word of God. So who are the people that handle the word of God, that speak on his behalf? Well, they're the pastors. They're the teachers. They're the the ministers of the word. So I believe that's the them here. That's the them in this passage. And it fits the context because we've already heard of these men. Look back at verse 2. Verse 2 of the same chapter, Paul says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So remind them is the, those faithful men, those pastors, those teachers of the word. Remind those people of these things. So what things? Well, if you've been following along with us in First and Second Timothy, you know Paul loves this statement. These things. He throws out these things in First Timothy seven times. And it's a bit like a transition when he does this. He's pointing back usually to what he just said and also connecting that to what he's going to say following. And so that's what we have here. He's pointing back to everything that was said in the chapter, verses 1 through 13. So he's saying, remind those faithful men of all of that content. Remind those faithful men to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse verse 1, actually. And then remind them that they can't do this on their own strength because they're called to be a good soldier, a disciplined athlete, a diligent farmer, to suffer for the gospel, for the glory of God. And it's God that made them faithful men in the beginning, in the first place. So they need to remember God, remember Christ and the gospel if they're ever going to continue in faithfulness. So Paul is saying, remind those teachers of these things, which is the gospel foundation of their faith. Now I need to stop there for a second because I don't want you to think, okay, this is a sermon to pastors I can check out now. Okay, I know it's tempting in this book. It's really easy to do. But yes, these men are called to do these things, to remember Jesus Christ, to live as good soldiers and faithful ministers of the word, empowered by God's grace. But in a very real sense, that's also our calling as well, isn't it? Yes, these men lead the way in that. They're called to follow Christ, but we are called to follow them as they follow Christ. And so don't tune out. Don't say, okay, this doesn't apply to me at all. This is still instruction for us. We need to remember these things as well if we're going to get to handling God's word well even among us. So we have that in the beginning. So first, an approved worker is to be strengthened by God. But second then, an approved worker works for God's approval. God's approval and not for man. And we see that clearly in verse 15. Verse 15 says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Now there is so much in this verse. It's just incredible how much Paul packs in here. But the first thing I want you to notice is it's hard to spot the command here, isn't it? You look at it and think, well, what exactly is he asking me to do? And unfortunately, the translation doesn't help you because the main command in this verse is to work. To work, to be diligent, to labor, to make every effort. That's what, if you have King James or even the New American Standard kind of gives that translation to it. Sadly, the ESV all says just do your best. Almost like Paul is saying, well, give it a shot. You know, that's not what he's saying at all there. Paul is saying put every effort towards this Timothy. 
Spend all your strength, all your energy. Don't hold anything back because this is the goal of the pastor. This is the goal of an approved worker. And what is that goal? Well, it says there, verse 15 again, to present yourself to God as one approved. Now, that's not the approval of man there. That's the approval of God we're talking about. And if that sounds familiar, it should. Not only is it all over the Bible, but it's even in this chapter, isn't it? Verse 4, when Paul called Timothy to be a good soldier, what does he say? Verse 4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. That's the job of the pastor, to please God, the one that brought us into ministry in the first place and called us to that. You see, when we study God's word, when we step in the pulpit to preach, yes, we are feeding the sheep, we're encouraging the saints, but ultimately we're not doing it for you. We're not doing it just to please you, we're doing it to please our Heavenly Father. He is our primary audience. He's the one we're truly serving and not man. So you see, the faithful pastor, the faithful workman, at the end of the day, shouldn't just finish their sermon and think, well, what do people think of me? Did people find my message appealing or interesting, or do they see me as funny or encouraging or engaging or whatever it might be at the end of the day? And you know that's the way we think in our culture, isn't it? Our whole culture revolves around likes and social approvals. That's the essence of social media. So it's, it's tempting for a pastor to go there. But that's not what a faithful servant does. A faithful servant has to fight that because they know, and you need to know too, that God is the judge of what comes out of the mouth of the preacher from this pulpit. God is the judge of the word being preached, and so it's his appeal that we want. He's the one that we're trying to get the approval of. And Paul continues... The approved pastor also is a worker, verse 15 in the middle there, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Now this is pretty much a parallel statement because think about it. He labors and he teaches God's word, but why is he not ashamed? Well, because he's not fearing man, because he's not trying to find their approval. So he's not fearing man, he's not ashamed because he's working for God and for God alone. Now, I would imagine that there are some people that this might bother a little bit in our consumeristic culture. I'm sure there are some people that think, wait a minute, you're saying that the shepherd shouldn't care for the sheep? He doesn't really you know, know what I want, know what I need. He's not really thinking about me when, when he's up there preaching. Is that really the kind of shepherd you want? Well, yeah, actually, we want a shepherd like that. Because you think, well, yeah, the the pastor is commanded to care for the flock. But by doing that, that doesn't always mean that he gives the sheep what they want or what they think they need. The faithful servant of Christ Jesus always gives the sheep what God says they need and what God says they truly should want. That's the kind of pastor you want. Not a pastor, by the way, who is afraid to stir the pot, afraid to ruffle feathers in the congregation, to upset people. We don't want a pastor who softens the rebukes of Scripture so they're less offensive to you. We don't want a pastor who ignores a whole, you know, whole sections of Scripture because they're out of bounds in our culture. Their culture doesn't like to talk about it, but it's part of the counsel of God, so it needs to be preached. You definitely don't want a pastor who is unwilling to follow their convictions. 
unwilling to follow the word where it leads because it might lead to some of the people he loves walking away from the church. Or maybe, probably, some big givers walking away from the church that are paying his paycheck. That's a temptation for an unfaithful servant. But these are the descriptions, again, of an unapproved worker, an unfaithful servant, not the approved worker here. The approved worker needs to rightly handle God's truth. And that's the next part here. So approved workers, strengthened by the grace of God, they work hard to please God and God alone. And then look at the rest of verse 15, talking about the way they teach the word to please God. Verse 15, all right in the middle there. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, why is that? Because he's rightly handling the word of truth. Now, this is where I get the whole builder imagery, because this is what Paul is talking about here. This building, this worker imagery, rightly handling, quite literally means to cut straight, to cut accurately. So in your mind, you might think of maybe in Paul's day, the builder that is is cutting stone to make a foundation, and they have to make it align just perfectly so that the house is stable. Or maybe you think of a farmer who's cutting the rows, those furrows for their crop so that they can care for the plant as it grows up so that they can get a good harvest. Or kids, maybe you'll like this one. John Calvin says it's like a cook who takes a loaf of bread and divides it up evenly and gives it to everybody so they all have the exact same amount to eat. I don't know about your house, but there's always that argument, they got more than me and they got less than me. That's the way we think, right? So that's the picture here. I hope you can see what Paul is actually saying. This is a workman who is skilled in their field, their occupation, but they do faithful, sound, careful work. But what does the approved worker do his work with? It says right there in verse 15, rightly handling what? The word of truth. That's the gospel. That's what we've heard from Paul, the good deposit, the pattern of sound words. That's what we heard him talk about and call Timothy to guard in the first chapter. You see, an approved worker is careful and accurate with God's word. They let scripture interpret scripture so that they do preach the whole counsel of God. They're not skipping different places to kind of feed feed the appetites of the sheep. They wisely and carefully apply the word, both the law, like we read in the catechism, and the gospel, so that they're careful to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, while they're patient with all of them. That's what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5. And they don't try to change the word or expand on the word that they were given. They know that the word of God has been passed down to them, and they preach the word pointing to Christ the whole time. Because Christ is the fulfillment of the word. It should be pointing to him in every single text. And the minister of the word needs to trust the Holy Spirit's leading. To lead them in places that they may not even want to go. Now you see when this is corrupted, don't you? It's so sad when pastors or teachers twist the word and say, you know what, go score that touchdown because you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. So sad because that is a helpful verse for contentment when you're suffering. It's not to score touchdowns, right? Or go be a David. Go conquer your giant out there. That's not what the word of God is about. It's pointing to Christ there, the one who fought when you couldn't fight because we were in this helpless situation. So you see, the approved worker 
works with all their strength constantly to understand God's word as best as they can with all the tools they have and then to make it as clear as they possibly can be to the people of God. I believe Paul sums this up really well in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. Listen to what he says here. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways, kind of convincing people and drawing them along to, to kind of fool them into thinking something that they shouldn't. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. We're not going to twist it to make it say what we say, but with an open statement of the truth. We would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Again, seeking God's approval. Do you see what Paul says here? I am going to give you the word straight. I'm going to give you the word of God, the truth straight, unfiltered. Here it is, so that you know what God expects of you. And so you know who God really is. That's what an unapproved approved worker, not an unapproved worker, an approved worker does. But that's where we need to get to the unapproved worker in contrast. So let's get to that in verse, well, we'll start in verse 14 as we see the unapproved worker, and then we'll get to verse 16. Verse 14, Paul says, charge them, sorry, right in the middle of verse 14, charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. And then Paul says something similar in verse 16, look at that one. But avoid irreverent or a kind of godless babble. This God, this chattering. Now you see what Paul is saying is out of bounds for an approved worker is being quarrelsome. So these men were unapproved, excuse me, were disqualified elders. We learned in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that an elder, a teacher of the word, should not be quarrelsome. And Paul's saying that's what these men are. These unapproved workers are quarrelsome. Now we got to be careful though, because we don't want to think, well, Paul is basically saying, come on, Timothy, don't fight ever. Right? Don't you know, Timothy, doctrine divides. So don't, don't fight about doctrine. Don't talk about doctrine. If it divides, then you've done something wrong. No, that's not the case. It can't be the case because he's called to defend the faith multiple times. And it's pretty hard to do that without arguing. So what Paul is saying here is that really an approved worker needs to have wisdom. They need to have discernment. They need to know when to argue, and they also need to know what to argue about. See, they can't be like so many out there, even on social media, who just, it seems to be, they live to argue. They live to be right. They, they want to fight or debate. That's their only goal. They're the type of people that Paul will describe in the very next chapter, actually, in, chap, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, who are always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. So these types of quarrelsome people are all talk. They want to debate theology. They want to play the devil's advocate, but they have no interest in doing what the word of God says. They are hearers only, but not doers. And they have no interest, especially in submitting to the men that God has put over them, the spiritual authorities over them in the church as they receive the word from them. That's what these unapproved workers are doing. Do you see how different this is? What a contrast Paul is making here. An approved worker knows which hills to die on. They know which battles to fight. And in their fight, they're trying to help other people. 
They're trying to sharpen them, make them more holy, and they're trying to argue God, not just with the result of the argument, but even in the argument themselves, itself. In contrast, an unapproved worker will die on every hill. They will fight for any cause as long as they can prove their point, as long as they can be right, because they don't care about holiness. They don't care about honoring the Lord. They really care more about their own honor, their own reputation. That's what an unapproved worker does. But where does that lead? Look at verse 16. We're in the middle of verse 16. It says, For it it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. It's like a disease that affects the church and will spread so fast, you won't even know it's, it's gone to everybody until it already has. And then he says, verse 17 again, Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth. How? Saying the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. You see, now he's calling out false teachers, because not only have they been argumentative and quarrelsome and divisive, it says here, these men have actually done those things and swerved from the truth. They're being divisive because they're trying to spread lies in the church. They're trying to spread that gangrene, that disease through the church. By saying what? By saying the resurrection has already happened. Now you might think, well, how could they say that? What does that even mean? Well, they were the kind of people that saying, look, the resurrection has already happened spiritually. It's already a done deal. So you know what? Now is the time to live the glorious life. We don't need to go suffer Like Paul, we don't need to end up in prison. No, now is the time for prosperity and blessing because we're risen from the the dead spiritually. You see what they're doing? They're twisting Paul's words, aren't they? Saying you can have your best life now. It's alive and well today, isn't it? But Paul, Paul has clearly said different. Actually, they're probably getting this even from Paul's words in in Romans chapter 6. He said, we have been buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ has raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So yes, there is a spiritual resurrection from the dead where we're walking in newness of life right now, but that doesn't mean we won't raise from the dead spiritually as well. You see what they were doing? selectively taking Paul's words and twisting them. Because Paul says very clearly, even in the chapter last week in verses 11 through 13, that there will be a physical resurrection. And he has a whole chapter dedicated to it in 1 Corinthians 15. And so they're taking this truth and twisting it. And I want to get at that point because this is something we need to understand about false teachers. We have our, our radar up and we kind of assume, okay, we'll be able to spot them. We'll know when they're coming for us. We'll know when they're teaching these lies. But brothers and sisters, false teachers use the word of God. Their false teaching is very close to the truth. It's a crooked line instead of a straight line, right? That's the picture there. It's very close to the truth. And it's just like what Satan did in the garden. Did God really say? You know, I've still yet to meet somebody that just rejects Jesus outright. I don't want anything to do with Jesus. But I've met a lot of people say, you know what? I like Jesus, but I'd like him even more if I could tweak him a little bit. If I can make him more like me, a buddy or a pal, or he's kind of God, but not really God like, you know, God. That's the idea. So false teachers do this. They twist the truth, which is why we need 
men who rightly divide the word of truth. We need to have that happen in the church so we can spot those lies when they happen. And that leads us to our last point. Because even thinking about an unapproved workman probably has a lot of us thinking, well, if the truth and lies are so close together, how do we guard against it? How do we fight it if we can't even notice it sometimes? And what do we do then if an unapproved worker actually gets into the pulpit and preaches false doctrine like what was happening in the Ephesian church? If they're preaching false doctrine and it's spreading in the church, is the church just done for? It's just hopeless at that point? Well, no. But why? Because there is a master builder of the church. There's a true builder that works through the approved ones and actually against the unapproved workers. And that's what we see in verse 19. Verse 19. Let's look at that together. But God's firm foundation stands. Paul is again building on this building metaphor, no pun intended. He keeps going back to this. He's talking about a foundation, but what foundation? What's well, the foundation that God builds, which is the foundation of the church? Now, it's amazing because this group of people, the Ephesian church, should be very familiar with this whole metaphor because Paul talks about this in his first letter to the Ephesian church. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says the church is like this spiritual temple and God is building his church by the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2 verse 22. And we too are part of this temple. We are spiritual blocks, building blocks in a sense that God is using to build up into this temple. But what's the foundation? It's the apostles, the prophets, and Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. It's the gospel that was laid in the very beginning. And God is the one that built that foundation. And think about it. If God is the one that lays the foundation as the master builder, that means it can never be shaken. False teachers can come in, like Hymenaeus and Philetus and the hundreds that have followed over the centuries, and they cannot take down the church. In fact, their worst work refines the church, helps us even sharpen our own doctrine in many ways. Why? Because God, in Christ, will build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Not only will it be defended, but that verse is about the offense. The church is going to assault the world. They can't touch the, the church at the end of the day. But look at this. God doesn't just build the foundation of the church. He also seals it. That's what we see in the next part of the verse. Verse 19 again. But God's firm foundation stands, and listen, bearing this seal. Now, you know that seals mark ownership. They marked it in Paul's day, but they even kind of do that in our day as well, don't they? I mean, we have even like brands for cattle that's kind of like a seal. And sometimes you'll see like a plaque on a building that basically says, this building belongs to so-and-so. Same thing in Paul's day. This building belongs to Paul, property of Paul. Probably not Paul, probably property of Caesar, right? That's what most of the buildings were in Paul's day. And so now we have this seal on the foundation of the church. It's God's seal, but what does it say? Look at verse 19. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Leave that behind you and walk in God's ways. This is an amazing quote, and it's really interesting what Paul uses here. You can see it has quotes, right? It's probably even indented in your Bible a little bit because it's a quote from the Old Testament. Now, what you may not know, though, it's a quote from a really terrible story. 
in Numbers chapter 16. You might know this as the uh, Korah's Rebellion. This is a terrible story because Korah was this Levite, and he's, you know, he's a priest in the tabernacle at that point, and he gathers his family, other Levites, to go against Moses and Aaron. They're saying, well, we should be the ones to go before God. We're Levites after all. Why should Aaron and Moses be the only ones? And we should be the ones to speak to the people. We should be in charge. Now, it doesn't seem like that big of an offense, except it was God that placed Moses and Aaron in the lead. So what they were doing at that moment, they were challenging God's word, twisting God's word, even given all these reasons they thought were biblical, but God recognized it right from the beginning. So you know what he told his people to do? Get away from them, and he opened up the earth and swallowed them. This incredible story of instant judgment right in the middle of the wilderness. So why in the world would Paul say, yep, that's the story I want to remember? Well, because God protects his church. God seals his church and protects them from false teachers. It's almost like God is saying, you know what? I know who belong to me. I know my approved workers. I know my unapproved workers. And I will always protect my church, even if you don't know the difference. I will be the one to destroy those that are a threat to my people, and I will refine my people while I do it. Revelation is a wonderful reminder of this too. Constantly, almost every few chapters of how he sustains the people of God and keeps those that belong to him. But in Revelation 7, there's a seal. The whole church is sealed with the Holy Spirit right on their foreheads. Why? It's marking out who belongs to the Lord. And it's those that are sealed that God empowers to the end. That God keeps to the end. So that's what this promise is about. Don't worry if there's unapproved workers. Yes, fight them. Fight them with the truth. But you know what? I'll take care of them in the end. I will judge them. Well, brothers and sisters, I hope you see what an incredible comfort and promise this is here. Yes, we need approved workmen, faithful men, wise men to lead in the church. Hopefully that you, again, voted for today and hoping to teach you. Men that remember Jesus and help you to remember Jesus and help you to persevere even in the midst of suffering. And they do that by rightly dividing the word of truth, making it as clear as possible so that you can spot lies and trust what's being taught. But even if unapproved workers slip into the church, and twist the gospel. Don't lose faith. Our Lord is still at work. He's still fighting for the church, building the church, sealing the church, and putting down every threat to the church along the way. You know how we know he'll do that? Because he always has. He did that in the Old Testament. He continues to do it all throughout history. See, our great hope is like what Paul says in Romans 8. This is what God promises. All those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he has also glorified. Past tense. That hasn't even happened yet, but I'm going to put it in the past tense because it's a done deal. So what shall we say to these things, Paul says? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's our hope with false teachers and false doctrine and even threats to the church. We hope to lift up approved workmen to preach the word and fight the unapproved, but we rest in the end of the day that God is for us. Let's pray that we can do that together. Father, thank you for your word.
Thank you for this wonderful reminder of how you care and sustain your church and how you help us to be faithful, empowering us, Lord, your teachers, to rightly divide the word of truth, to live and serve for your approval and your approval alone. Father, help us to do that. Help us fight the temptation to veer from these ways and to do anything contrary to your word. Help us to be faithful men as you've called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name, for his sake. Amen.